We're going to study tonight three tshuvos of Rav Yehuda Herzl Henkin. Rav Yehuda Herzl Henkin was a remarkable, outstanding posek in Eretz Yisrael. He was a grandson of Rav Yosef Elio Henkin, one of the greatest poskim of the 20th century in the United States, in New York. Rav Yehuda Herzl Henkin was his grandson and was a leading posek in Eretz Yisrael, aligned with the Dati Lumi movement, but he was a, he was a tremendous Talmud Chacham, a, a, a tremendously interesting erudite and original thinker in Eretz Yisrael. He revered his grandfather. We'll see tonight that, we, that he will be quoting and, uh, with great uh, reverence and deference positions of his grandfather to the extent that he named his, 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 his magnum opus, his, 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 his chuvas, are several volumes of tshuvas he called Bnei Banim. Sheilas of tshuvas Bnei Banim, meaning the response of grandchildren. He, that was, of course, a, a homage to his, uh, his, his great-grandfather, not his great-grandfather, but his great-grandfather, you get my meaning, of Rav Henkin, Rav Henkin of New York. Rav Yudah Herzl Henkin, the grandson, is particularly noted for his interest in women's issues, issues of tznius, issues of marriage, of family. He has many chuvos on that many many of his chuvos of the of the several several hundred, I guess, in Bnei Banim. He has uh, he has a, a, a large number on Ebenezer, on male female relationships, relations, and so on from a halakhic perspective. He actually, he actually has a book, uh, English translations of some of his writing on, on these topics, Equality Lost. But uh, he, he's particularly famous for his chuvos on, uh, on, on Ebenezer, on, on, man, on, on relationships between men and women from a halakhic perspective. As a matter of fact, Rav Henkin's wife, Rav Henkin passed away a couple of years ago, Rav Henkin's wife, Rabbanit Chana Henkin, Founded the founded the Nishmat organization of Yatzot. It's a it's a tremendous resource for training for articles on halacha, helchas nida, women's halacha in general. It's a it's a great resource, one of the great online resources in this area. And uh, and and in general, they they are they they were both obviously uh, particularly interested in issues relating to women. The chuvas we're going to study tonight are cla- are classics of the genre, classics of his, of his approach to these issues. They deal with family planning and contraception. I should note also further, before we begin, Rav Yehuda Herzl Henkin was independent-minded and somewhat fearless. He didn't, uh, he said what he needed to. He didn't court controversy. He wasn't out to, uh, to argue. He wasn't out to make waves. <coughs> but he, he did very much believe that it was important to say things that had to be said, as we'll see tonight. He's going to make that point in one of the tshuvas, that it's important not to sweep some things under the rug. It's important to, uh, important to say what has to be said. In particular, the topic of contraception is one that is, particularly on the right wing, most postkim today, they're very reluctant to discuss it openly. Most, apparently, most of what postkim say on these topics is, is oral, is, is rumored, is Torah uh, Pes, so to speak. Postkim are reluctant to, certainly on the right wing, you know, on the left maybe people like Rav Willig and Rav Schechter in YU maybe are a little more open about discussing these topics, but in general, Postkim, certainly on the right wing of, uh, of Torah, are reluctant to forthrightly and publicly and clearly say what, what the Torah's opinion 
opinions are on these matters. Rapankin had no such qualms. Rapankin, again, Rapankin, the grandson, wrote extensively and openly on these topics throughout his chuvas. The chuvas we're going to see tonight are, again, are very open, very frank discussions of, of these questions, and he actually explicitly makes the point that these are important matters and we need to discuss them. We shouldn't somehow try to, uh, try to hide them, and these are important halachas that people have to know. So he, he receives some criticism for this. Some people think that there is uh, some kind of uh, more discretion should be, in, that, that, that whatever you think of his position, some people have apparently felt that, 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 that these types of matters should be discussed more discreetly, should be uh, between a woman and her rabbi, so to speak, and not discussed uh, in public quite so, uh, you know, quite so openly. But as I said, Rabbi Yudhartzel Hankin was not a shrinking violet. He believed that important halachic topic should be discussed uh, in public, in chuvas, and that is what he did. The three chuvas tonight deal with different questions of certain aspects of contraception and family planning. Now, one introduction to the halachic topic, it, it, this is a topic which is, it, it, its, its roots, its fundamentals in the Gemara and the early poskim are somewhat murky. Not because the Talmud is squeamish. The Talmud, anyone who has studied Talmud knows the Talmud is perfectly willing to discuss in graphic detail all kinds of things that don't make for polite conversation in the modern uh, Western era. But for whatever reason, the Talmud is uh, the Talmud itself has some discussions of contraception. It's omitted from the Shulchan Aruch. It somehow didn't make it into the Shulchan Aruch. And there are many, many chuvas on the topic. But, it, it, but, but the topic does not receive a, 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 really, a really systematic and thorough discussion until really the 20th century. Now, obviously, the, the technologies involved for contraception were different then from now, and some of, the, some of the methods discussed are not the ones we use today, and vice versa. But it's important, the, the, the basic introduc- introduction we have to establish here is that there are... Fundamentally, there are two issues with two families of issues with contraception from a halachi perspective. One is that certain particular methods of contraception pose certain specific problems. Barrier methods, in particular, things like condoms and so on, pose particularly serious problems. Other methods pose other sorts of problems, even things like um, even things like pills, birth control pills can cause a woman to stain or spot, which can cause needle problems. So di- different methods of uh, birth control pose specific problems that are particular to the method in question. We're not going to be getting into those questions tonight, any of those questions really, except in passing. We're going to deal with the second question, which is a fundamental question common to all methods of birth control, which is that in, insofar as we're dealing with birth control, the Torah wants people to have children, one of the very first commandments, one of the very first commandments, pru revu, milu es a man is commanded to procreate, to, 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 to raise families. There are, there are several different mitzvahs in the Torah, loto bara, l'sheves yetzara, the world was not created to be uh, empty, a wilderness, it was created to be inhabited, to be settled. Babokers ra zarecha, l'erev al-tanach yadecha, we're told that a person should have children in his youth and should continue having children as, as he gets older. So there are, many, there, are many different, there are many different places in Tanakh, many different Gemaras that talk about the mitzvah to have children and what a great mitzvah it is and so on. So the, the second question, and this is common to all methods of birth control, is the, the second question is, is it right, is it legitimate to postpone or to avoid having children at all 
insofar as there is a mitzvah to have children. What are the parameters of that mitzvah? What, do we have to have children nonstop? Is there a limit? So, so again, there, there are two basic questions that we have to ask ourselves when dealing with any type of question about birth control. The first one is, does the particular method being contemplated pose any particular problems? And those are a whole family of technical questions which are not our focus tonight. The second question is the general question inherent to any method of birth control. Is it permitted, under, under what circumstances is it permitted, to delay or avoid having children, despite the fact that the Torah considers it a great mitzvah to have children. And it's this latter question which we're going to be focusing on tonight. So, again, there are three tshuvas. The first one we're going to look at is, uh, first thing we're going to look at is from Tufshin Laman Ches, from 19, uh, 1977 or 78. It was written to a Rav Echad. He, he usually does not, he often does not name his correspondence. This one he refers to a, he, he wrote to the author of a sefer on, uh, on contraception. It might be possible to figure out who it is, but, but he wrote it to some rabbi, author of a sefer on contraception. The second tshuva we're going to see was written in Tufshin Laman Zion, I guess, uh, a little bit earlier, a year earlier. That was, it. That was written to Rav Echad, who again he doesn't name, but it is, it is evident from the tshuva that it was to Rabbi Moshe Tendler. He refers to the, his correspondent as the author of a sefer, a popular work called Pardes Rimonim, on these topics, which is apparently a reference to Rabbi Moshe David Tendler's Pardes Rimonim. He refers to him as Moshe Sonnenlo, so it's pretty clear who we're talking about here. And the third tshuva was written, the third tshuva was written in Tufshin Memtest about a decade later, 89 or so. It was written to a, also a Rav Echad, but this Rav Echad had apparently had a large family and nine kids already and wanted to know if he was obligated to continue having children or could he take a break or pause his family after he already had nine children. These are the three, these are the, so the first two tshuvas were written more in the theoretical vein, written two authors of Svarim that dealt with birth control, and he wanted to express his opinion and the opinion of his revered grandfather. The third tshuva was written in a, in a practical case to a specific person who had asked him about, uh, about using birth control. So take a look at these tshuvas. Rav Henkin was a tremendously erudite posik. He, he, he had the eon of the, of the Lithuanian schools, but also uh, a great deal of erudition. He quotes extensively from Rishonim, more Rishonim than Achronim, but he quotes extensively from uh, primary sources. The tshuvas can go on for pages and pages sometimes. We're only going to quote selections of them, especially the long ones. So he begins his first tshuva in Tafshin Lamed Ches. He says, he says that uh, regarding your sefer on birth control, I, I, I mentioned to you in brief various rulings of my grandfather, Hagon Marizikni. I didn't have the chance to explain them. And uh, he says he was asked recently, he says, he, recently he, Rabbi Henkin, was asked, what is the rationale of his grandfather, Rabbi Yosef Leo Henkin? He allowed women to delay having further children for a number of years, he's going to say four or five years after a child, he allowed them to practice some form of contraception and delay having a, another child for several years for an extended period after the birth of one child. So he says, I'm going to explain that to you in the end of my tshuva. He gets in the, in the, in the main, main course of the tshuva, he discusses some technical questions about barrier methods of contraception at length. We're, not, we, we, we're going to skip those pages. The end of the tshuva, he goes back to this. He says, my grandfather allowed a woman to uh, avoid conceiving a second child even four or five years 
after the four, four years or longer after the birth of one child. He passed in that way many times, Lamaisa, even if a husband had not yet fulfilled the mitzvah of Pruruvu, the, the, the most uh, well-defined and most heavily discussed mitzvah of, we mentioned there are several different mitzvahs of procreation, the most rigorously defined and discussed mitzvah of those is the mitzvah of Pruruvu itself, Peri of Arivia. This is Machlokes, Beshami and Basil. We paskin that Pruruvu is fulfilled with one boy and one girl. When my, when my daughter was recently born, I... In addition to other, to other aspects of the celebration, I got to celebrate that I have now fulfilled the mitzvah of Pruruvu. So, poskim often distinguish when discussing birth control and discussing other questions and nida and so on, whether a person has fulfilled Pruruvu, has not fulfilled Pruruvu. Fulfilling Pruruvu means that you have at least one, one son and one daughter. Two sons not, two daughters not, but at least one son and one daughter. And someone who has not fulfilled Pruruvu has a much more urgent imperative to have children than someone who has not yet, someone who has fulfilled Pruruvu. He says his grandfather of Yosef Yohankin had allowed people to delay for several years, Halacha Lemaisa, even, even people who had not yet fulfilled the mitzvah of Pruruvu. He says, and I pass in the same way, and he brings a very interesting precedent to this idea from the Gemara. The Gemara talks about nursing. How long do women nurse? How long, how long, is, a woman, how long is a child allowed to nurse? An adult, an adult Jew is not supposed to nurse, is not supposed to nurse milk from a woman. Asimidrabanan, I think. But the, an adult is not supposed to nurse. How old can a child keep nursing according to halacha? So the Gemara brings a bride with different opinions. And Rabbi Yeshua Shita is even four or five years. The rule is he, that, that uh, as long as he hasn't been weaned, as long as he hasn't stopped nursing, he's allowed to keep nursing continuously up to four or five years. Once he's pirish, once he's been weaned, then uh, he's not allowed to return to the breast. But as long as he's been continuously nursing, he can nurse for even up to four or five years. And Rabbi Yehuda Herzl Hankin has an intricate analysis of this Gemara, and he concludes that, that even though it, it was considered somewhat inappropriate for a baby to keep nursing when he's that old, nevertheless, he says, because it was beneficial to the child, they allowed it because it be, they allowed it. They, they allowed the. He says they allowed the. The way, the, way, the way he explained the way he explains it is. He says the child is not in danger. We're talking about a case. We're talking about a case that the that the child is not really in danger, but it's good for the child. So because it's good for the child, they that overrides the the normal concern. Really, it would be like Yonik Sheketz. Really, it's not really appropriate for a child that old. To nurse, but because it's good for him, because he's still nursing in a natural way with, without having ever been weaned, the good of the child outweighs the the concern for yonik shekets for the for the isudrabanan of uh, not being appropriate for a child to nurse once he gets too old. Now, Rabbi Huderzelhenkin notes, he says, nursing itself is a somewhat effective means of contraception. He'll discuss it again in a later tshuva. <coughs> a woman nursing, certainly if she nurses exclusively. That has a fairly, a fairly effective contraceptive effect. It's not foolproof, but it has, it has a pretty good contraceptive effect. So how could Chazal allow a woman to keep nursing, and thereby she is de facto, whether that's her intention or not, is de facto practicing contraception? The child is not in danger. You can get formula. At least you can when there's no formula shortage. So El Al-Karchach, Rabbi Yehudar Salankin says, since it is for the good of the child, 
that, that doing good, doing something that's good for your existing children is sufficient grounds for postponing for several years the further fulfillment of Pruruvu. And that's his grandfather's shita, and that's his shita, that doing good for your existing children, taking care of your existing children, providing for them in the best way possible, that is grounds for postponing having further children. Now, Rabbi Yehudar Salhankin makes a very interesting point. In the last paragraph of this tshuva, toward the end of this tshuva, he makes a very interesting point. He says, if a woman wants, comes to him and asks about practicing, about family planning, about, about, uh, about utilizing contraception, he says, he asks her, why do you want to do that? What, what, do you want to do that because you feel you need to take care of your children and, and, you, and, if, and you'll, if you have another one, you won't be able to do, the, do your best by your existing child? Or is it because you want to go back to work, he says. And he says, you, 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 want to, you, want to, uh, you want to go back to work and you don't want to get pregnant again because you want to spend some time at work. He says the former reason is a good reason, based on what he just said, that halacha allows the practicing of contraception in order to be able to devote yourself and provide for your existing children in the best possible way. The latter reason, he says, to be able to work is not a good reason for practicing contraception, he says. And therefore he says, therefore he says we can distinguish based on different societies, different legal and cult- societies with different legal and cultural frameworks. He says in the U.S., kids stay home for five years. We don't have universal, uh, universal uh, preschool yet. And children don't start going to school, he, he claims, in his day at least, when, what he knew of the U.S. was kids don't start going to school until they're ready for kindergarten, basically. And therefore, you know, and therefore a woman takes care of her kids. So she can say, I don't want to have another kid, because I, not yet, because I want to take care of my existing children. He says in Eretz Yisrael, they have, uh, they have much more universal, much more standardized childcare at early ages, from three or less. He says, the kids are already out of the house. He says, and therefore, she, the woman's just going to go work. Her kids are being taken care of by, uh, by professional daycare anyway. Then there's no actor, he says. Why does she want to not have another child? Because it'll interfere not with her childcare, it'll interfere with her, with her work, he says. Obviously, a woman could say that, you know, she wants to be with her kid when she gets home from work, and having another kid will totally take her away. But Rav Hankin here assumes that the, in Eretz Yisrael, the primary motivator is to avoid interfering with work. That, he says, is not a heter. Again, we're dealing primarily with someone here who, where the husband has not fulfilled pruruvu. So the calculation might be different when he has fulfilled pruruvu, but at least in a the case, they, they only have one child, let's say, they have not fulfilled pruruvu. Then, Rav Yehuda Herzl Hankin says, going out to work is not a good reason to practice contraception before you fulfill pruruvu. But taking care, of your older, taking care of your older child is a good reason, he says. Then he goes on, he talks about different methods of contraception. Again, we're going to gloss over the, we're going to gloss over the, the various concerns of the various different methods of contraception, and, and so on. And that is his conclusion in the first tshuva, that in principle, his, he and his grandfather, he following his grandfather, both allow contraception when it is for the benefit of the existing family, when it's in order for the woman to take care of her children, she feels she can't devote herself properly to her <coughs> current baby, her current uh, toddler, if she has another one, that is a good method to use birth control. Again, provided that the birth control doesn't have its own particular problems, the individual method is still a major issue, which he discusses in detail in the tshuva, we're not going to get into that, but, uh, but the birth control in and of itself, he says, would be mutter if you're doing it for the sake of being able to, to provide in a better way for your, for your current child. 
It is not a hetary says if you're doing it in order to be able to go back to work. That does not justify that does not justify birth control, at least in the case where a person hasn't fulfilled pruruvu. So that was his first tshuva written to a, a rav whose identity I don't know, the author of a sefer on family planning and contraception. Second tshuva, written around the same time, a year earlier, a year or two earlier, to Rabbi Moshe David Tendler, author of the work Pardes Rimonim. He says, he says that the, he says, and, and, um, so Rabbi Taylor had written about some of the laws of Nida, how, how, how the laws of Nida apply to someone who is nursing a baby. She typically doesn't get her period, uh, or, or, or may not get her period while she's still nursing. So he says that the, Rabbi Taylor had assumed, though, that today nursing is not very effective in pushing off periods and not very effective as contraception. Rabbi Taylor wrote that... Uh, that, that he said today a woman gets her period again within six months of uh, within six months of the of, of, of childbirth we have we have better standards of nutrition and health and so on and the childbirth childbirth pregnancy and childbirth are less traumatic and therefore the body springs back faster and it reverts to uh, it reverts to having a normal reproductive cycle with a period and and so on and she'll be fertile again uh, much quicker than they used to be in the time of Chazal. Rabbi Taylor was writing this with regard to the laws of Nida. The laws of Nida, uh, a woman is required to anticipate getting her period, ideas of Vestas, and so on. So Chazal said she won't get her period for, two, for, for 24 months, so she can assume that she uh, doesn't, doesn't have to anticipate Vestas. Rabbi Taylor said today things are different because of nutrition and health and so on. And therefore today, even if she's nursing, she still has to start worrying about her period again within six, after six months after childbirth. Rabbi Henkin disagrees. He says he's wrong about the science. He says his science is fundamentally wrong. He says apparently Rabbi Tendler does not actually know women who actually nurse exclusively. He says the, you're talking maybe about women who, who supplement nursing with bottles and so on. He says and juice and food and so on. Yeah, if you're not nursing exclusively, then yes, the nursing is much less effective at, as a form of contraception, as a form of suppressing her reproductive cycle. That's all true. However, he says women who nurse exclusively, the, then certainly for six months, and then they produce a lot of, for the first six months, they produce a lot of milk, he says, even if they start supplementing uh, with food after six months, but if they've actually nursed exclusively only milk and developed a robust uh, milk production regimen, they will not start getting their periods until a year or two years, he says, like the Gemara. He says, unlike you, Rabbi Taylor, you think the issue is nutrition and trauma and health, he says. It's not the issue at all. The issue is hormones, he says. The issue is hormonim, shabagufa isha. It's the hormones that nursing triggers that, uh, that, that dampen the reproductive cycle. It's Mufrasemis, he says. He saw it in his own wife. He heard it, uh, he heard it from, uh, that was true of many women. I don't actually know the science. I, I have also heard such things that, that, that contempor- some contemporary doctors have said this, that if you nurse rigorously, exclusively, that does have a, a pretty, not foolproof, but it does have a pretty strong effect on, on postponing the, the return of the menstrual cycle, the reproductive cycle. But he says, uh, recently in the U.S., they've practically forgotten about nursing. Today, Akshar Dara, today we have all kinds of advocacy organizations. We have baby-friendly hospitals, which the women like to say mean mother-unfriendly, where they uh, beat you over the head to nurse and, uh, and, and refuse to give you formula and so on. So today, the, the pendulum has swung back. Today, we have lots and lots of nursing, lots of social pressure to nurse. 
But back then, nursing was kind of uh, being relegated to uh, a more primitive age. So yes, if you don't nurse, if you don't, or if you nurse partially, then yes, you're not going to get the full hormonal benefit, benefit, whatever you want to call it, full, full hormonal effects of nursing. But if you nurse consistently and exclusively, Rev. Hankin says, yes, it will suppress the reproductive cycle, and it, it, it is not all that different from the time of the Gemara. Now again, the first part of the discussion is with regard to Nida, but he tells Rabbi Tendler, this is relevant for birth control as well. I recommend that you correct the, this inaccuracy in your Sefer, he says. Particularly, he says, because you, you follower of Moshe, he says, he says, you follower of Moshe that says that, uh, that, in, that, that, that in general, birth control is usher. Moshe was quite strict on birth control. Moshe says different things in different chuvas, but in some of his chuvas, he takes a pretty hard line about birth control. He says only if it's a matter of the woman's physical or mental health Will he, uh, will, 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 he consider, will he consider birth control? But you, if you don't allow any actual birth control, he says, that's based on what Ramosha says, at least one of his chuvas. Only if it's a sakana can you be lenient, he says. But, uh, so, so for you, certainly, if nursing, so if nursing is the one avenue women have left, if they're not going to use artificial birth control, the one method they have left of family planning, short of abstinence, is going to be uh, nursing. So you should make sure the women know this, he says. You should, you should make sure the women know that, the, that, that nursing, at least, is going to be effective. However, he says, my, my grandfather was much more lenient. My grandfather, Biosuli O'Henkin, did not agree with Ramosha. He felt that Allah Chalamaisa, he allowed women to delay having, having more children for several years. And I heard in Eretz Yisrael that uh, a certain god rules that way, and he says he heard that, that Rav Ruderman used to rule this way. He says that, so, so that, that there are various... Uh, that, that, that there are various other post-gim who, who, who are more lenient. So we, he says, we, uh, you know, we actually allow birth control. We're much more flexible. But you, he says, you and your father-in-law, you and Ramosha, who are quite strict, you don't allow artificial birth control. The only thing you can allow is, uh, is nursing, and therefore you should tell them that nursing works. It's the, it's the one shot, it's the one, even you would allow nursing, so it's the one shot that they, uh, that they have, he says, and, uh, and, and they should do it. Rathenkin then goes on and, and somewhat provocatively says, he says the current situation that women that women pass most months they pass the most of their lives uh, being nida. He says having regular periods like clockwork. That's not the way a woman is supposed to be. He says that wasn't the way it, it, it happened in Tanakh and the Talmud. They had births. He says and they had nursing and they had a few years without having they had. They had he says uh, fifteen twenty years. He says without. Uh, Without, uh, without having many periods. They would have a period you know, for a few months, they'd get pregnant, they'd spend a few years on the, on the pregnancy, the nursing, and then they'd, they'd go for a few years at a time without periods, and a few times in their life they'd actually have periods. Today, we don't, we, we don't have that many children, and we, and we have periods all the time. That's not normal, he says. That's not the way a woman should be. He, and also, he says, women in, in the time of Chazal didn't have that many children. They don't have, he says, we never find women with, uh, with much more than about seven children, Chana and her seven sons, he says, Aseris, the, the ten sons of Bnei Papa, we mentioned at the Hadron, on Asiyam on, on a Masechta, Charchanina Bar Papa, Rami Bar Papa, Rafram Bar Papa, the ten sons of Bar Papa, he brings from some, some sources say that they were not actually all sons of the same Papa, they, they were not all brothers of the sons of the same, that was not normal, he says, and in general, he says, uh, having, being needed so often, he says, is, is not great for young couples, it, uh, it, it puts a, a damper on a healthy Healthy married life, he says. Having too many children is also not so healthy, he says. It's, it's not great, he says. 
So people should know it's, it's not essential. It's not essential to have you know twenty five children. He says you're not, you're not, you don't have to do that. He says you can have a normal life, have a, have a handful of children, six children, seven children. He says, and uh, he says, and he says, he, and, he, and today he says it's the women who are more educated, the young women who are better educated. They're the ones who nurse. He says, and tavole and bracha. It's healthy for the child. It's healthy for the mother. It's healthy to have. The, the contraceptive effect, it's healthy, to, it's, the nursing itself is healthy, it's healthy to not be needed all the time. So for all these reasons, Rav Henkin is a big fan of nursing, and uh, not, a, not a big fan of constantly having children, and not a big fan of women constantly being needed. In the past, you can go too far, obviously. But people, my wife points out, you know, some, of the, some, some of the pro-lactation organizations get so aggressive, get so... Uh, dogmatic about this, they make women feel terrible, they make women feel uh, inadequate, and bad mothers if they can't nurse, some women can't nurse, some babies won't nurse, uh, there, there, there are a thousand reasons why nursing is not for everyone, but Rafankin is not, you know, again, is not being so ideological about it, he's saying in general, the way God created the world, nursing is a normal part of, uh, of, of a woman's life, nursing, of a married woman's life, nursing is healthy, nursing is normal, Having children every you know, every single year is not is, is not he thinks such a great idea. Being needed all the time is not such a great idea for the is not such a great idea. And therefore, he says that the 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 recommended policy, in, as his father has said, as he feels, the recommended policy is women should be encouraged to nurse nurse for long periods of time. This will have a contraceptive effect, which itself is a good idea. And this will also have a, uh, an, an effect of reducing the amount of time a woman is nida. And that is also a good idea, he says, especially, especially for younger women for whom it's not healthy for them to be nida all the time and to be constantly, uh, you know, constantly being prohibited to their husbands. That's not a great thing. This is what he writes to Rabbi Tendler. So he tells him, first of all, your science is wrong. You think that uh, the only reason that they didn't get their periods was because of the trauma and the physical trauma of, of the birth, and today things are better. That Today things are better, but that, that's not the issue, he says. The, the, the contraceptive effect comes from the hormones triggered by the lactation, not from the stress of primitive childbirth. It works today as well, he says. And so A, it works, and B, it's important to publicize this. People have to know this, he says, because it's healthy. It's healthy to have a kind of natural... It's healthy to have a kind of natural form of, uh, of contraception. It's healthy for families to develop like this. It's healthy for couples to, to have this in their relationship. And therefore, he says, this is true, and your, your facts are incorrect, and therefore, you should publish a correction. And he says, and it's important, and people should know this. This is, an important, uh, this is an important thing for people to know. His third tshuva is the one out of the three that we're studying tonight, which was actually written in a concrete halachalamaisa context, rather than in an academic discussion about the halachas of, of nida and birth control. The third, this is written about a decade later in Tufshin Memtes in 89. It was written to a, a, a certain rav, apparently, a certain rabbi who had had a large family. He had nine children. He wanted to know if he could take a break from, from uh, having children. So he says, first of all, he says, these halachas of, of contraception... In particular, contraception after birth of a child. He says these halachas are not or should not be suppressed. They should not be uh, held close to the vest. These are halachas that are people need to people people need to know, and therefore I'm going to write about it forthrightly, and we're going to have an open discussion about this. He says, my grandfather, 
Hagon, Mari Verabi, Zikni, who was not a Yechidahu, his grandfather was notably lenient, but his grandfather was not the only one. He mentions again Rav Ruderman. Rav, Rav, Rav Ruderman, he says, used to, used to rule relatively leniently. Other Gedolim, who it is alleged, also had lenient rulings, he said. He says, what about Ramosha? Ramosha writes in a tshuva that as he quoted in the previous tshuva, Ramosha claimed he has not seen any rabbinic authority who will allow a woman to practice birth, to practice contraception for any reason other than sakana, than a serious danger to her health. Says Rabbi Yudhartzel Hankin, Ramosha is simply not correct. He was, uh, he, he was not, you know, this is not an accurate statement. As I've written earlier, that Ramosha is not, uh, is not, um, not taking into account my father, my grandfather's position. He says, Gedolomizu, this is a truly fascinating aside, he writes there. He says, Gedolomizu, he says, Ramosha's attitude toward my grandfather, Ramosha and, R- and Rafankin, of course, were, were colleagues in New York, were, were colleagues on Lower East Side. He says, Ramosha, Ramosha famously did not always agree with Rafankin. They, they, had, uh, they had certain uh, major disputes. One of, their, one of their famous disputes, one of the most, uh, one of the most, one of the most important halachic disputes of the 20th century, was about civil marriage, civil marriage, reform and conservative marriages, marriages that were not conducted by an Orthodox rabbi, Kedas Moshe of Israel. They were either done, married civilly the couple, or they were married uh, by a reform or Orthodox or, or a conservative rabbi. Does such a marriage require a get? Does Halacha recognize it as a valid marriage? If, if the woman remarries without a proper get, are the children mamzerim? This was an epic machlokis between Rav Moshe and Rav Hankin. They were not the first ones to discuss it, of course. We covered this in our share a while ago. The question goes back to the Rivash about 700 years ago. It was, it was discussed at length in the 19th century. But in the 20th century, Rav Moshe and Rav Hankin were two of the most famous uh, participants in this debate. Ramosha famously was lenient. Ramosha held that conservative and reform marriages are null and void. You try to get a get. You, know, you shouldn't just go around dismissing it off the cuff, but you should try to get a get. But uh, if push comes to shove, you don't have a get. Children were already born from the second marriage. The, we say the first marriage is void, and the children are not mamzer. Rav Hankin, Rav Hankin was something of an outlier here. Most post-kim agreed, to, agreed with Ramosha. Rav Hankin was an outlier. Rav Hankin said that the that de facto marriages, common law marriages, civil marriages, marriages performed by non-orthodox clergy, all these marriages are considered 100% marriages lahalacha. Rav Hankin wrote extensively explaining his views, why he felt this way. But Rav Hankin held these were 100% valid marriages according to halacha. Again, is required. Children are mamzerim and. They, they, had a, they had a fierce machlokas about this for years and years. So he says, he says when, when my grandfather, when Rav Hankin, Rav Yosef Leo Hankin, when he wrote in, 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 his, in one of his works that you need a get, if they, if they live together, if they live as husband and wife, you need a get, Ramosha then, Ramosha disagreed, and Ramosha wrote, I disagree with Rav Hankin, and he wrote that that's when it's common law marriage. We're arguing, he said, if it's common law marriage, if it's uh, maybe civil marriage, but he says if it was a reform marriage, or a, a, a marriage done by a Rav reformi, uh, then surely even Rav Hankin would agree that reform, a, marriage, a marriage performed by a reform rabbi would not need a get. He says, my grandfather, Rav Hankin, wrote to Ramosha that, I, nope, I, I, even that needs a get, I think. 
when Ramosha didn't uh, didn't concede the point. My fa- my grandfather, he says, wrote a uh, uh, wrote a a letter of protest, a statement of protest. He published it in Apardes, and he wrote that uh, that um, absolutely not. Hankin wrote very clearly. It makes no sense. He says, Masadik Kedushin, unlike in Christianity or other religions, where the rabbi, where the where the clergyman marries you, doesn't work like that in the Torah. The, the Torah, the rabbi just oversees and provides instruction, but the Kedushin is performed by the husband. You don't need any rabbi there, he says. So Hankin wrote that you absolutely, absolutely, even in the case, he published a, 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 an open letter, a public statement uh, repudiating what Ramosha said, that no, you need to get, even in the case of reform marriage. Then he says, when, uh, that he, he says, when Ramosha then went ahead writing more tshuvas and published the next volume, of, another volume of Vigorous Moshe, and he said again, he said that even if we're going to tell, even according to Rav Hankin, that, uh, that, uh, that, that, that non-Orthodox marriages are valid, but if it's Talmidei, her reformer, the rabbis, and if it's a non-Orthodox clergy, he says, then surely you don't need a, a get, because they don't mean Kiddushet Torah. Rav Hankin, even Rav Hankin wouldn't be Choshesh for this, he says, and he wrote that, Ramosha wrote that again, he says, and again, he says, five times, five times Ramosha claimed that Rav Hankin uh, would agree to a reform marriage not needing a get, which is explicitly against what my grandfather said, even though my grandfather issued, he says, a, uh, a public protest against Ramosha's misrepresentation of his views, he says. And Plea Niskava, he says, Ramosha just didn't care. He was convinced that he's right. He simply steamrolled right over. He kept trying to limit what my grandfather said. I don't know, he says. But that's what Ramosha did. You cannot take Ramosha as being an accurate uh, representation of what my grandfather truly held. Ramosha, for some reason, just because he just couldn't fathom that he disagreed, he kept saying, he kept trying to limit what he said, but my father, my grandfather indeed held that uh, something very, very different for Ramosha thought he said, Ramosha said he said, and the same thing applies to contraception as well, he says, the same thing applies, the, the fact that the... The fact that Ramosha may have said, I don't know anybody who's making on contraception in a case where the health of the mother is not at stake. Yeah, so he said he didn't know anybody, but my, my grandfather held that way uh, perfectly explicitly. He said my grandfather's position was quite clear. The fact that Ramosha says, I don't know anyone who says that, uh, don't, take that uh, don't take that too seriously, he says. That was most certainly my grandfather's position, he says, that he was perfectly happy to allow birth control, of, of, again, of certain forms of birth control, to postpone uh, pregnancy uh, for several years, despite the fact that Ramosha says nobody holds that way when, when the health of the mother is not at stake. Now, now Rabbi Yehuda Herzl-Hankin says, your particular question, you're asking me about this man and woman who lived, uh, they have nine children, they fulfilled Pru Revu, Parnas is very hard to support such a large family, can they stop having children? Um, furthermore, he says... Uh, even if they're currently still managing, but the woman won't be able to work, and they're going to stop having their income will go down, and uh, they're going to start the kids will all start being school age, and that'll cost a lot of money. He says. Furthermore, he says that the father is suffering psychologically. He's worried that uh, there were certain anticipated health risks. I guess the couple was getting older, with the risks of having uh, having having children with, uh, with with certain problems increases. He says. So he wanted to know, what would the, the person asked Rabbi Yehuda Herzl Hankin, what would your grandfather say, what would Rabbi Yosef Leo Hankin say, can we, uh, can we use a diaphragm, can we use birth control to avoid having more children at this point? So he says, to be perfectly honest, I'm not going to go, Rabbi Hankin was nothing if not honest and precise, he says, I, I will not go around claiming to you what my, fa- what my grandfather would or would not say in this case, my, father, my grandfather has passed away and I can't, uh, 
I can't quote you an exact precedent, a ruling he gave. I can tell you in general that he allowed certain leniencies in birth control, but you want to know what would he say in this case? I'll be honest with you, I cannot tell you. My, my grandfather is no longer with us. Uh, I'll tell you what I think he says. I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you what I think he says, and uh, maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be able to, uh, I'll be able to correctly surmise what my, what my grandfather would say. But uh, this, this is my opinion, but I'm making it clear, you're getting my opinion here and not my grandfather's opinion. So he brings the Gemara. The, 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 of course, this person was already fulfilled the mitzvah pru revu. He had at least one boy and one girl. The question is, as we mentioned earlier, there are several additional mitzvahs involved in procreation that apply even if you have one boy and one girl. One of them is a Paschim Koheles. We say, Baboker a person is supposed to have more children. A person married in his youth, he should marry another woman in his, in his old, in his, in, when he's older. He had children in his youth, he should have more children when he's older. Because you never know, the more the merrier, more children is better. A person should always have more children, who knows how any of them will turn out. So it's good to have more children. Now Rabbi Henkin says, there is a machlokis we shown him as to this mitzvah commonly referred to as la'erev, after the pasuk v'la'erev al-tanach yadecha, is this a real binding mitzvah like Ner Hanukkah, like Mikra Megillah, or is this just some kind of uh, aspirational ethic? It's a good idea if you can. Rishonim disagree. There are a number of Rishonim who say it's not a chiv, it's not, uh, it's a good idea, lechatchila. We don't compel you to do it. You're not called an avarian if you don't want to do it. But it's, uh, it's a recommendation. It's, uh, it's an ideal you should aspire to, but it's not, once you, did, once you fulfill Pru Revu, this is not strictly a chiv. That is the opinion of, uh, it, it, it's, it's less, it's, it's not a full-blown, even rabbinic obligation, it's not a full-blown mandatory mitzvah. However, the Rambam, the Rambam disagrees. The Rambam says it is a bona fide mitzvah midrabanan. Rambam's language is, even though a person has fulfilled the mitzvah period of Arivia, there is a mitzvah midivri sofrim, it sounds like a bona fide mitzvah, a mitzvah midivri sofrim, to have more period of Arivia. As long as you have koch, as long as you're able to, you should have more children, that is a mitzvah midrabban. So, according to the other Rishonim, it's a recommendation, it's a good idea. You can weigh other factors, you can decide whether there are reasons why maybe you're not going to do this, uh, this ideal. According to the Rambam, though, it sounds that this is a real chiv, you have no choice. You, you can't say, you know, I'm not going to light Ner Hanukkah this year because my family, will, uh, my family will do better if I don't. It doesn't work like that, a chiv is a chiv. So according to the Rambam, maybe you have to, he says. Rabbi Henkin goes on. He says that the that uh, Henkin goes on for a while. First of all, he says the Rambam is only one opinion. There are many Rishonim who disagree. He says even those who typically follow the Rambam, like the Smag and the Meiri and others, don't fo- don't follow the Rambam's language over here. They don't write it's a it's a, that most Rishonim don't use this language. That it is a a mitzvah midivrei sofrim. Since many Rishonim disagree in his opinion, he says. This whole thing is drabanan. It's certainly not a mitzvah daraisa. A daraisa, it's only pru revu, one boy and one girl. This is certainly not a mitzvah daraisa. It's a mitzvah drabanan, and it's a rambam against other rishonim. So you have the right to be lenient, as per the usual rule, that suffer uh, drabanan is lakula. You can follow the, the other rishonim, that it's just a, uh, an ideal, but it's not a, it's not a strict chiv, and therefore you can weigh it against other considerations. And if it's going to be difficult for you for some reason or another, you can be... You can be lenient. Rab Henkin goes on and has a number of a number of other arguments as well. 
a number of other arguments for why, he, why he's going to allow leniency. One of his arguments is that even according to the Rambam, the question is, the Rambam implies that A, it's a mitzvah drabanan, a binding chiyuv, and B, there's no limit. As long as you have kach, keep going. More children, more children, more children. As long as you can, you have to have more children. Other Rishonim, however, seem to say that even if it's a mitzvah drabanan, it's parallel to, to Pru Ravu. Just like Pru Ravu is one son and one daughter, the mitzvah of Le'erev al-Tanach Yadecha means in your old age, do it again, one more son and one more daughter. But once you have two of each, that already is, you already fulfill this obligation as well. <coughs> I've heard other posts who, who have said similar, I've heard of this in the name of another post who said something similar. So even that, by the time this person had nine children, I guess he had at least two of each. So even according to, the, so according to again, according to the Rambam, you still have no heter, but again, according to many other Rishonim, besides the fact that many hold is not a chiyuv in the first place, it's not a strict chiyuv, some say that you fulfill it with two and two anyway, so anyway, this is not a problem. Furthermore, he says, he says, uh, again, he says that the, the, you know, you, you, the ikr is, you don't have to have an indefinite number of children, you already had nine children, Ada Karayalda Shiva, the kind of the ideal, the, the Pasuk holds up is seven, seven's considered a, a magnificent full number of children. Having too many children, he says, is, uh, is, uh, is, is very hard for a woman, he says. The whole point here is Yishuf HaOlam, Binin HaOlam, he says, he says in a kind of Melitza, he says, a woman doesn't have to destroy herself in order to build the world. She doesn't have to sacrifice herself for, uh, you know, to promote world, uh, world civilization. He says, everything I said in the earlier tshuva was all, where I talked about four or five years, and nursing, he says, that was all before you did Pru-Ravu. He said, before you did Pru-Ravu, where really you have a real mitzvah daraisa without any heterim sitting on your shoulders, then I had to look for, the, the, I talked about the heter of, uh, to be better for the older children, taking a delay for the nursing. That was all a person who has not fulfilled Pru-Ravu. A person who has fulfilled Pru-Ravu, and he's even fulfilled uh, Le'erev, he has two boys and two girls, such a person, he says, he says it's pushed. He says that the that, the, that you don't have to go having children indefinitely, particularly in cases where there's tsar and dochik parnasa. And Ashrei Chelko, you already had a large family. He says it's a, it's a great schus. You don't have to push yourself indefinitely. That's his Iker Heter. And then he says Laravcha de Milsa. Just to add some additional arguments, I have three further arguments. He says that uh, for why he says for why I don't think that you have to, to prove to support this idea that you don't have a strict obligation to continue having children indefinitely. He says, first of all, the halacha is that if a woman, a woman has conjugal rights, she has the right to demand that her husband provide her with marital intimacy, a woman has the right to waive that. It's her right, and she can waive it. So, as long as, she already, as, long as they already fulfill the mitzvah, pru revu. If they haven't fulfilled pru revu, she can't just say, you know, let's live separate lives for a couple of years, because they, he has an obligation of pru revu. But once he's fulfilled Pru-Ravu, if, if she's not interested, she can say, let's, uh, let's hold off on marital intimacy for a while. How can you do that? There's a, there's a mitzvah of Le'erev al-Tanach Yedecha, he says, how would you be allowed to do that? So she doesn't want to, but you have to do it. Just like before you do Pru-Ravu, you, ha- you can't just, you, she can't just say, oh, I'm waiving it. So even after Pru-Ravu, if there's a mitzvah of Le'erev, how is she allowed to do that? So it must be, it must be that the, there's not such a chiv. The Chida already says something like this in Birke Yosef, that uh, because of La'erev, it's a mitzvah in general to have children, but you don't have to, you don't have to uh, constantly and be with her all the time and have relations regularly. It's enough that once in a while, in principle, you're still, 
you're still pursuing more children. But, but, but you don't have to do it with the same level of uh, regularity, be with your wife quite as regularly as you do before you fulfill Pru Revu. And says, the, says, says Rav Hankin, the same thing applies to contraception, that as long as you're not you know, permanently sterilizing yourself, that, the, that as, long as, as long as you're not going to postpone children until, until the woman is no longer of childbearing age, we have an additional heter, that once you fulfill Pru Revu, even if there still is a mitzvah of La'erev, it, it's not as imperative to have it constantly, and, to, and, to, and it's not as urgent, and you, have, you certainly have the right to take it slower and to postpone it, at least to postpone it, not, not to stop entirely. Then he brings, he brings, uh, he, he brings additional, additional, additional argument for leniency. He brings that, post say the Truman Sedation says, that there was a person who hadn't yet fulfilled Pru Revu, and he was going to, and he was, he, and he had, uh, he had. Um, I'm, I'm not sure he filled Peru or not, but he, but but he, but, he, but he was. I'm sorry, we're talking about a case of a man who already had had a number of children, and really he's supposed to marry a woman who's still of childbearing age because it's meant for to have more children. But he was concerned that a stepmother would be bad for his children; it would cause quarreling, it would disrupt the the harmony of the house. Truman Sedation says that that is okay. He's allowed to marry a woman who was, uh, apparently, who had a less quarrelsome nature, but who was not fertile. If, if that was better for his family, he says, because of the need to preserve Shalom Bayis, the need to, to avoid domestic strife, that overrides the mitzvah of Le'erev al-Tanach So, again, if, if it can lead to stress in the family, if it can lead to Shalom Bayis issues, and economic issues as well, if the, if the economic issues can threaten Shalom Bayis, so once again, if we have these serious concerns that can disrupt the, the harmony of the home, either directly by having more kids or by Parnassah, which can trigger Shalom Bayis issues. So if it's one of these things, we also, again, this wouldn't apply before a person did fulfill the mitzvah pru revu, but once a person fulfilled the mitzvah pru revu, the mitzvah of La'erev, we have a solid precedent, can be set aside, in, in, at least insofar as we're dealing with a case where there's a, a, where there's a credible concern that having more children will disrupt the Shalom Bayis. There is a third heter that uh, the marshal allows a, a woman to practice contraception or even some kind of sterilization if she's concerned about tsarleda, if the, if the pain of childbirth is intolerable, or, or she's worried about having problematic children. Not sure why she's worried necessarily, but if they're not going bederach yeshara, if the children are... If, I, I'm not sure why she thinks that more children will follow... The previous children, I guess, the schooling is not good, or the culture somehow is pulling them away from the Derech Yishara. So in these various circumstances, the marshal actually allows the, the woman to sterilize herself, and, it, and it's, even if a person has not fulfilled the mitzvah, Pru Revu, he says, so this would be a concern, he says, in our case as well, if you're concerned about some of the, some of the problems that can occur in older women, he talks about mongoloidism, he says, or if, if you have... Uh, if, 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 if there's a credible concern that, 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 that there are going to be different types of, uh, if the doctors warn her that because of the genetic makeup or age or other factors, if, if, if there's a credible concern that we, there's a history of this, he says, or, or there's a medical prognosis that, that, that there's significant danger, he says, then this would also be a hazard to not having children even before Peru Revu. Again, that, that only applies in limited cases, but once again, this is a further hazard that allows us to set aside the mitzvah of uh, that a lot that that this is this is um, that this would allow us to set aside the mitzvah of uh, of la'erev maybe even pru even pru revu. So in summary, in this tshuva, he again he, he can't promise this is what his grandfather would say, 
But his position is, based on his understanding of his grandfather's shita and his understanding of the sugya, is that yes, there is a, there is, there is a, a mitzvah, the Gemara says, there is a mitzvah for, for a person who can to always try to have more children. However, it's not clear that it's an actual chiyuv. It may only be an ideal, which can then be weighed against uh, other values. Even if it is a chiyuv, it may be satisfied with, with simply one more boy and one more girl. So once a person has two of each, there may be no further chiyuv. And uh, furthermore, he says that, 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 that in general, we can be selmech on the other shitas, that it's not strictly a chiyuv, and that the, it, it's not expected that a person will produce children constantly and, uh, constantly and, uh, and without, with, without, any, uh, without, any, uh, without any break, without stopping. And additionally, he has several other additional etarim which can apply, at least in certain cases, that the A, he says that, that once a person has done pru revu, even if there's still a mitzvah to have more children, the mitzvah doesn't come with as much urgency. A person can, can, a person can proceed to have more children at a much, more, much slower and much more gradual pace. B, he says, if it, in a case where it'll lead to shalom bias issues because of money or just because of too many children, that itself can be a hetter to, uh, to not follow the ideal of la'arab al-tanach yadecha, and see if there, if, if there are issues with, uh, with the children being problematic, having health risks, and so on. If, again, not just if a person is just, just, just worried about remote possibilities, but if there is a serious risk based on, based on previous experience or based on the medical prognosis, that would be another hetter to avoid having children, even in a case where the person had not fulfilled pruru and certainly in this case where he already has. Just, uh, just one final note, this is probably obvious, but it can't hurt to mention it. This is a uh, complex and fraught topic, and there are many different opinions on many, many different rabbinic positions on this topic. We, are, we have been exploring tonight, uh, again, fa- fairly briefly, one particular approach, and uh, several shuvas of one particular posek, a, a prominent posek, but not necessarily the, 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 the dominant opinion on the subject of people who have questions in this area, as in all areas of halacha, particularly in one like this, where emotions are charged, and uh, and it uh, certainly uh, rabbinic, uh, rabbinic certainly rabbinic guidance should be sought if a person has a uh, an actual uh, real world question in this area.